Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Here at the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their passion. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and you're listening to podcast number 11. And this podcast is actually another one of our mentors where we sat down with Bob Mills of Bob Mills Furniture. And he spoke to our group, things like dealing with failure, overcoming adversity, and following your dreams. He had a lot of great things to say. And I'm really excited to share this with you because this is, again, is a window behind the scenes of, uh, of a successful businessman here in Oklahoma. But this is a guy who started with just a loan of $25,000 from his mother. And uh, over the last 45 years, he's been able to grow it to multiple locations in Oklahoma and Texas and employ over 220 employees. It's a family-owned business, and he's kind of the, the name and the face of it. So this is something that he's carried for his whole life. And it was really awesome to listen to the different things that he felt was uh, relevant for us as young businessmen. And so this part right here is the actual time where he got to speak directly to us. And I'll also be putting together the question and answer time with him as well. So you can kind of get a good, well-rounded idea of what the conversation was, what he wanted to talk to us about, and some of the questions that we were able to ask him directly. So I want to turn it over to Bob Mills. Well, Matt, thank you so much for letting me be with you this Friday evening. And thank you all for sharing your Friday evening with me. And uh, I would imagine that the reason that you asked me to come over tonight is you feel that I'm relatively successful and you'd like to hopefully take away some things from the evening and I hope that I can I can do that for you and as I told this gentleman I'm not politically correct so that the the, the questions that, that you'll ask me later on I'll answer them as truthfully and as directly as I possibly can but first of all I want to I want to tell you a story one afternoon when I was in my, in my 20s, things were pretty tough. And I had pretty much made the decision that I was going to get out of the furniture business. It was over. People had told me, you can't make it. You need to quit. And I got in my car and I drove down in Oklahoma City to the old Mathis Brothers location on Western Street. And I parked my car across there. And as I sat there in that parking lot, and it was a cold after cold October afternoon, I saw Larry and Bill's dad, Don Mathis, that started it all, come out of the store. And there were customers coming in and coming out, and there set a brand new white Eldorado Cadillac. And at that time, telephones and cars were not very well seen around town. But he had a telephone antenna 
And Don opened the guard, took his leather jacket off, had on a pair of alligator boots, starched, Levi's. He was always dressed meticulous. And he folded that leather jacket, got in his car and drove off, and I assumed that he was doing what I'd heard he did every day. Headed for Quail Creek Country Club to either play golf or play gin rummy all afternoon. And for some reason or other, I sat there and I got so motivated and I said to myself, if Don Mathis can eat a steak, I've got to be able to eat a hamburger. There's got to be a way to get this figured out. And I went back to the store and I started on just that idea. And as I remember, it was, it was one of those times that all of your friends are telling you, just quit. It's okay. Your young people will forgive you. But you're probably wondering why I found myself outside of uh, Mathis Brothers that afternoon. And I can't tell you, but it just seemed like the logical place to go because at that time he was deemed to be the icon and the most successful uh, in the furniture business. But I can tell you this, my story really starts out pretty simple. I'm an only child, lost my dad when I was 19 years old in a car accident. I worked my way through Southwestern State University playing in a rock and roll band on the weekends. I played tenor sax. And uh, I'm not bragging, but I'll tell you, I, I was a good player. I was a good player. <clears throat> But when I graduated from Southwestern State University, I only had three things. I had a diploma in my hand, I had a tenor sax in the case, and I had no job. And I don't know if you've ever heard those famous words from your mother or from your dad that when you get out of school, son, you're on your own. But if you've ever looked for a job, and you haven't been able to find one, that's pretty depressing. It's kind of embarrassing to look for a job, or at least it was for me. But um, I staggered into a, a, a pizza place one Friday night, and there was a high school friend sitting there. I went over and I said, how you doing, John? And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for a job. Well, I'm an agency administrator at a life insurance company here in Oklahoma City, and I'm looking for a clerk typist. Can you type? I'm the finest typist in the world. <laughs> I can type faster than any man alive. <clears throat> Just tell me what it entails. Well, I don't know if you'd be interested or not. You're going to be sitting in a secretarial pool with five young ladies typing late payment notices. <laughs> and what do you think? And I said, I'll be down Monday morning. And I went down there Monday morning and almost didn't get the job. It was a $400 a month job, but because I had a college degree and was overqualified, they said, he's not going to stay. We don't want to hire this guy. I begged those people for that job, and they finally gave me the job and let me stay there. And it's so interesting because every day, every week rather, one of the insurance salesmen would come in the uh, home office. That was the home office there in Oklahoma City. We kind of struck up a friendship, and he started telling me he used to be in the furniture business, 
And boy, this was the greatest business in the world. He made so much money. He had so much fun. It was so easy. Everything was just great. Well, when you're young, you don't ask those questions of, well, if everything is so great, why are you in the insurance business and not in the furniture business? Well, it didn't come that way. So we kept talking and we kept talking. And finally, one day, he made it sound so easy. And I said, well, how much would it take to get in the furniture business? He said, I think we could do it for $25,000. I didn't have $25,000. He didn't have $25,000. So I had one source left, my dear old mom. So I go to my mom and I give her a great selling presentation on this is gonna change my life. She agreed to loan us the $25,000. With the understanding, she said, I wanna be repaid and I wanna be repaid with interest. Do you understand? I said, okay, that's fine, but you can count on me. You know I'm gonna take care of it. Not that she didn't trust me, but she said, well, since my dad had passed away, she had moved to Texas. And she said, I think I'll move back to Oklahoma City and help you. It's not going to cost you anything, but I'll help you. I knew what she wanted to do. She wanted to look after her $25,000 where, where it went. And in 1971, $25,000 was a lot of money. So after we got her to agree to loan the money, both of us, my friend and myself, we quit our job. I resigned as a clerk typist. We found us an old grocery store building. And July 3rd, 1971, we opened the doors and we were in the furniture business. My mother made the first sale. She sold a chest to a fella that had an expectant wife. And I found out that he, she sold the chest for $10 less than we paid for it. And I said, Mom, what happened? She said, well, <clears throat> he looked like he needed some help. And I wanted to help him. What could you say? It's Mom's money anyway. So it wasn't mine. But I noticed that <clears throat> when we started in business that first year, we really did well. My partner was a master promoter. Later, I found out he wasn't a businessman. But we got up to doing $100,000 a month. And back in 1971, $100,000 a month was quite a bit of money. We were doing a lot of volume. But I noticed something really strange that you kind of notice in business. We didn't have any money. <laughs> we just didn't have any money. And I'd keep asking my partner, what, what's the deal that we don't have any money? Bob, don't worry. We're doing great. We're just doing fine. So one day I decided, this is really worrying me. And I had an old friend of the family, an old gentleman who was a CPA, J.T. Thomas. And I called him and I said, would you come down and take a look at our books? <clears throat> he said, yes, I will. He walked in with his straw hat on. <coughs> he sat down, lit up his unfiltered uh, camel cigarette, and started looking through the books, talking to himself, humming and hawing and back and forth. And he sat there for a while. And all of a sudden, he slammed those ledgers shut, and he said, just as I thought, you're broke. Really? I mean, I was stunned. My partner immediately jumped up and said, listen, JT, you obviously don't understand the furniture business. Why don't you just send us an invoice for your time, and we'll, we'll pay you. 
And JT looked at him and he said, why would I send you a bill? You couldn't pay it if I did. You're not listening to me. You're broke. That really scared me when he said that. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, bad things are getting ready to happen. It was exactly one week later that my partner walked in the door, had a piece of paper in his hand and the keys in the other hand, and he slid them across the desk, and he said, I'm out of here. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And he said, nope, I'm out of here. I sat there and looked at those keys for at least two hours trying to figure out, do I follow him out the door or do I stay and try to figure this deal out? And I couldn't decide which one to do. Well, obviously, I decided to stay. And I want to tell you, it was three of the toughest years of my entire life. We got down to three employees, and one of them was an older lady that had been Budden Don Mathis's very first bookkeeper starting in 1958. And she was like a second mother to me because she, too, was very politically incorrect and would tell you exactly what she was thinking with four-letter words attached. <laughs> but she was, she was the best. And it was about that time, that's when I found myself driving down to Mathis Brothers that day because I'd had enough. You just, you just could only take so much, you thought, and so much failure that this just wasn't for me. And you've got all your friends telling you, don't worry about it. it it's okay. But obviously we didn't do that. And in 1975, we caught a real break. We were able to hire one good employee, a gentleman by the name of Ken Collins. And this was so wonderful because he got out there on the floor and he started trying to sell. And when he got there, what he found was that I was on the floor trying to sell <coughs> furniture, jump on the delivery truck, try to go deliver it, come back, sponge bath off, and get back on the floor. Ken was such a good guy, and in a year, we had almost doubled our business. And that's the first lesson that I really learned, the value of good people. You must have good people. Without good people, you don't stand a chance. It just won't work. Somewhere in all that depression and all the turmoil, I figured out, I really like the furniture business. This is fun. This is starting to, to, to really get in your blood. And in 1982, there was a lady that needed to sell 28 acres right next door to Mathis Brothers in Oklahoma City. And I was able to dream and say, boy, what a great place to have a Bob Mills furniture right there. This would be fantastic. So I was able to buy that 28 acres. Let me reclass that. Myself and the bank bought, <laughs> bought that 28 acres. And... I got, I, got, I got more help from two older Jewish brothers there in Oklahoma City, the Shanker brothers. They kind of took me under their wing, and they helped me develop that 28 acres. And it, it really was a, just a blessing come true because I didn't have the ability to develop that land, but they did. And we sold that land, and it left me a place that in 1993, uh, 
we were able to build the new Bob Mills Furniture. 200,000 foot facility, but since that time we've added on <laughs> to our warehouse, built our home offices and, and things like that. But uh, I can tell you that when we started to open our new stores in 2003, it was a scary time. We'd always been a one-store operator. But in 2003, we opened Amarillo, Texas, followed by Lubbock, Texas, Midland, Odessa, Waco, Temple, and our newest store here in, in, uh, in Tulsa. Now, that's, that's really the history of Bob Mills Furniture, but it certainly wasn't uh, the spirit of the company. And I can tell you this. The best thing that you need to learn in business is change needs to be your best friend. Because things are going to change. And that's the only thing in life that's certain is change. It will not be the same tomorrow as it was today. For example, some of the ways that we've changed. We're the first furniture store that I know of to offer a commission-free <laughs> environment in which a customer can walk in and be greeted by a salesperson that is not having to sell you something today to make a car payment. He's not on commission. I've seen commission take good people and do some bad things, especially if it's the first of the month or the last of the month, trying to sell you something you don't need, like, or want. The other thing that we have, that we have done is, uh, as we talked about earlier, have you been tested? Our, our sleep spa. We're the only ones that have a chiropractic physician, a licensed chiropractic physician that works full time for us to help you find the correct mattress that you need for your back because one mattress does not fit everybody. It's not a one fit all thing. Now, just those two things right there are remarkable changes in our business that you don't find anyone else that I know of in the industry that do it. But the enemy of change is procrastination. I've seen so many companies that they sit around a table and they have a big meeting and they come up with a great idea. It's just a fantastic idea. And somebody says, you know, we ought to think about that, which means let's don't do it, let's continue to talk about it, and maybe we'll forget about it. And the only time that they remember it again is when the competition has figured out what they're doing and picked it up <laughs> and had a huge success with it. I read the other day that 70% of successful entrepreneurs make wrong decisions. 70% of their decisions are wrong. But what's so good about these, these CEOs that make it work is they change. They realize that it's a wrong decision and they make a change. If you don't make a change, you're afraid to succeed. That's what life is all about. And obviously the, the purpose of a business, nothing is going to happen until you make a sale. That's what we're all in business for, is to make a sale. We've got to have some revenue, we've got to take care of our employees, and we've got to take care of the, of the shareholders. A recent study that I read, businesses that had gone bankrupt, 
the people in charge of the sales and the marketing when they first started were working intently on trying to make sales, trying to market to get more sales. But when they went bankrupt, they found out that these same people were spending 11% of their time on marketing and trying to grow the business. What happened? They got busy with meetings, conference calls, more meetings, and everything in the world that had nothing to do with sales and growing the business. And it can happen. You become moderately successful and you just kind of take your eye off the ball. Many companies believe that their product's going to sell itself. That they don't need a stellar sales process. Hey, look, we're good. We're good. We can make it happen. But I'm going to tell you this. If you don't have a sales process with a great plan of execution, it will not work. You've got to have a process and you've got to be able to figure out how to execute that process. I think the heart and soul of any business or any sale is the promise of a benefit. I see so many people on television today. We've got the biggest building. Who cares? We have the lowest prices. That's what everybody says. We give great service. Everybody says that too. But what the customer cares about is what's good for the customer. It's a very self-serving world we live in today. If it's not good for the customer, trust me, it's not good for you because you're not going to sell anything. But you think about it related to our business, and I pardon, pardon me for my voice today, if you could buy a recliner and all of a sudden the matching recliner was free, great benefit for you. Or you could buy a king-size bed and only pay the queen-size price. That's a big benefit for you. But there's a lot of things that go into marketing your business and standards. And I would encourage you to do this and adhere to this rule. And we talk about this all the time. Keep your standards so high. I'm a big believer in clothing, <clears throat> people that dress well have an edge on those that do not. Clothing is a silent salesman. People that dress well do well. They get better jobs. They make more money. They have more respect. They, they have command a, a more heard audience. People don't have to go to the bankruptcy court over trying to dress well. We've got a lot of clothes, we've got a lot of clothing stores today that you can have a lot of style and fashion on a budget. But it shows that you care. And I staunchly believe that, that <coughs> you should be able to present yourself without ever opening your mouth just by the way you're put together. More of the young men need to learn, polish your shoes. Press your suit. <laughs> you'd I know you'd love that. I know you'd love it. And iron your shirt. Look presentable. Dress for the job that you want, not the job you've got. That's the way you get the job you want, is you look the part. High school athlete, 
He knows that he's playing on Friday night, and in the stands somewhere is a talent scout from a major university that could offer him a full-ride scholarship. But what's he got to do? He's got to get noticed. And the only way he's going to get noticed is if he plays his heart out and does something different. That's the way he gets noticed. And your appearance is the way you get noticed. And I know I, I get emphatic about that, but I see people all the time that want to be successful. They just don't look the part. There's a mismatch. There's a disconnect. They talk good. They look look like that they uh, could really have some hidden talents. But they didn't think enough to learn how to tie a tie and how to try to coordinate their appearance correctly. Now, this coming July 3rd will be my 45th year in the furniture business. And I got to tell you this, guys. This was not about me. I'm the most blessed guy you've ever seen in your life. Because these 45 years have, have given me the opportunity to experience failure like you cannot imagine. A lot of heartbreak, <coughs> but a lot of success. And success that I have, I have really enjoyed. Uh, I think that as you go through business and you grow, you're going to see those times that everybody talks about when the demons come out at 3 o'clock in the morning. And you see those times that you pray those, the morning will never come and that the sun won't rise today because you know what's laying ahead of you. But it always does. And I'm always reminded of what King David said in Psalms 56.3. Whenever I'm afraid, I turn to you. And it always works. It's always worked. And uh, I think the older you get, and the more experience that you get, the more you believe that. And the more you can see it in your life. But when you talk about blessings, I've been blessed so much. I have a wonderful wife, three wonderful children. And uh, I kind of look at our children because they're all involved in the business. And they're such respectable people. Like Donald Trump. When you look at Donald Trump, the one thing I notice, like him or not, look at his kids. They're respectable kids. They dress well. They speak well. They're college educated. And they work. And that's the thing I can say about our three. They're college educated. They're respectable. And they work every single day. And that makes me, makes me once, so proud to just be a small part <laughs> of that in watching the way things work like. But I want to leave you with one final thought. The definition between success and happiness. Happiness is getting what you want. Pardon me. Success is getting what you want. But happiness is wanting what you get. And there's a lot of thought in that if you'll just think about it for a minute. There's a lot of people that unless they get exactly what they want, <clears throat> everything's a disaster. But a guy that can accept and really want what he received and be happy with it and happy with himself, that's a guy that's going to be successful. <coughs> and that's a guy that's going to be a winner. And it's not always about the money. The money's nice. 
but it's not always about the money. So with that being said, I want to thank you so much tonight for letting me come over here and uh, share my story with you. I apologize for my voice. I'm never sick in my life, but this afternoon, I just, for some reason or another, started getting hoarse. But now, if there's any questions or anything that I can answer for you, I'd love to do so. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.